right back. It's episode two, titled Adrift, and I'm joined by Jake from Pop Culture Leftovers. Welcome, Jake. Hey, thanks. Glad to be here. Joe Stark from Starkcast Podcast. Hey, stoked to be here. And Mr. Billy Blinks from The Reality Guys on YouTube. Excited for episode two, fellas. And I am one of your hosts, Brian. I am also on Pop Culture Leftovers. And yeah, we're covering episode two. This is, I'm telling you guys, for me, I'm really looking forward to talking about one of the storylines in particular. Actually, I'm, <laughs> that's a lie. I'm actually looking forward to talking about all of them, but I'm really looking forward to talking about one element, uh, in this story. Uh, very much so is, uh, you know, who the hell is Meteor Man? And I can't wait to talk about that, but we've got to talk about some other stuff before we get there. Um, but for me, for as much as I did love, and you know what we didn't talk about the last episode is like what we talked, what we thought of the first episode. So I want to do that here. And I'm going to start with you, Jake. What was like, what first episode? There's so much for these creators and, and the actors and, 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 and the writers to kind of like put out there in this first episode in a world that we're familiar with, but also with places that we may not be as familiar with that aren't as flashed that fleshed out as some of the other stuff that Tolkien had write, written. Um, so what did you think about how it was all put together in this first episode in the first episode? You know, just as a lead up to that, like coming into this show, I'm a huge fan of the original Peter Jackson trilogy, but not so much of the Hobbit trilogy to the point where I've not even seen the entire second and third movie. I just it left such a bad taste in my mouth that I just kind of washed my hands with the whole franchise. And when Amazon announced this and even knowing how much money they were going to dump into it. I'm not going to lie. I still had that sour feeling and I just, I don't know. I just felt like I didn't need any more Lord of the Rings. I felt like the whole thing was spent. I saw them trying to expand it with the Hobbit and I was kind of steeled up to the point where I I didn't think anything they could do would be something I would enjoy. I I was worried that it was just going to be a bunch of blah, 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 exposition, nerdy shit that I wasn't going to give two fucks about and it would have zero charisma and just be a gorgeous looking painting of a show, but completely hollow inside that. And, um, man, I was like steeled up to just hate this motherfucker. And I absolutely adored it. I mean, it was, if we're doing our pop culture leftovers ratings, I mean, the first episode, we are not, we are not doing pop culture leftovers ratings at all. (laughs) Okay. So, I mean, I, I loved this. I mean, this was like on the one to 10 scale, it was like a fucking nine for me. And I, like I said, a lot of times I build up in myself that I'm, there's just no way I can like a thing and it makes it hard to break down that barrier and go, wow, that was, that was really good. But yeah, within 15 minutes of this, it just had so many of the thematics that I love from those original three movies. Uh, the characters were way more charismatic than I ever hoped they could be. It didn't feel stuffy. I was intrigued about what was going to come next. I, I'm i shocked to say, but th- this show worked on almost every level for me. I mean, um, the really the biggest and only complaint I have is, is something that happens in the beginning of episode two, which we'll, we'll talk about later. Yeah, I'll jump in. I, uh, I, I really enjoyed the first episode. I, I thought it was great. And I, I, spoilers for episode two. I think I like that. I, I liked it even more. But, um, yeah, there's a lot to mine from 
the world of Middle Earth. There's a lot of stories that you can mine from. And, and I like how the creators are like not beholden to anything in particular. They're just using a template and they're filling it in with their stories. And I think it's, uh, I think it's a very, very well thought out so far, very well thought out and fun companion piece to like what we've gotten in the past. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm very much enjoying it. Joe. Uh, the the first episode exceeded all my expectations, especially with all the hate that this is getting online uh, for for various reasons. Uh, I I went into it with almost no expectations, and really the the there were parts of the trailer leading up to it that got me excited, and other parts of the trailer, um, especially with the way that the CGI looked in the trailer itself, that had me concerned. But man, the the first episode it, it blew away all my expectations. It was it i i i'm a huge lover i i have been my entire life of of high concept fantasy and this is this is very high concept fantasy and when it comes to deep lore on things and and an intense reasoning on why characters do stuff that digs deep into the events of the past i i'm i'm a i'm an absolute sucker for it and in tolkien's world has always been in my opinion, the crowning achievement of that in in high fantasy and to see it brought to life so well in this um, the, with, with the budget that I was worried that the budget would have been squandered. That In the end, we are going to end up with a, a billion dollar pile of shit. And, and so far, that's not it at all. The, the first episode was it was it was perfect for me. It, it couldn't have been a better opening experience for for a viewer like me. I mean, just, I don't know. There's something about, there's, you know, seeing, uh, you know, hearing about like Valinor and hearing about like Casa Doom and stuff like that. But seeing it now is just awesome. I just love how this is filling in, uh, filling in a lot of things that we hadn't seen before. I just, I, and, and getting more Galadriel, getting more Elrond and spoilers for episode two. I fuck it. Like it, this felt like Lord of the Rings when we got more Elrond in this one. This is like the <laughs> Elrond that I wanted to see. Well, I'm jumping. Absolutely. At, yeah, man. That was his, his, his kind of wisdom and his cockiness. Yes. Shown through. <laughs> I loved it so much. Uh, this second episode, the Elrond, I will say this now going into like the second episode. Now that we're here, Elrond is my favorite character so far introduced and, and a lot of that has to do with the separate uh, second episode. Billy, man, what did you think about the first episode? Uh, absolutely adored the first episode. Obviously, obviously, everyone here and people listening who are familiar with us know kind of my fandom with Lord of the Rings and kind of the importance to me. Like Joe said, he put it the best way. It is the epitome of high fantasy. In no way, shape, or form do I believe that in any way that that Middle Earth is a real place, but what's so great about it is because you're able to see the dynamics and the relationships. There's the human element there that we can insert ourselves into. It is the thing that, in my opinion, really anyone has built their lore base and world building has really in no way, shape or form. It hasn't not been you know, inspired by Tolkien's world and just to walk in there and to feel like we are just being fully exposed to a world and we're not being spoon fed or it's not being dumbed down and 
you have to kind of just take the ride for what it is. And, and these people really feel like you're just getting a glimpse into a, a fantasy world. And I'm really looking forward to seeing more of the locations and the characters that we are aware of get to kind of see how they get there. And I really think they just held it with a really respectful hand. And obviously having the budget that they have, they really were able to unleash that visual storytelling, which is so key in Tolkien's world. And I just think that this is just done with so much respect so far. And um, I really hope and I'm so far confident that they're going to continue to do that. So, so far, so good for episode one. Didn't they lose the showrunner for the second season? Didn't the showrunner leave? That was that was House of Dragon. Oh, that was House of Dragon. Okay, thank God, because like I was, <laughs> I remember reading a story and I was like, "Was that okay? Okay, I'm glad it's what not." A world, a- what a world we live in right now, where we have both House of Dragon and Rings of Power happening week by week. Right? I mean, uh-huh. never in my lifetime have we had this much amazing fantasy happening at the exact same time. <laughs> okay, is it who's got the bigger flex here? Like who's who's got the bigger flex? Like. Game of Thrones going up against, you know, Lord of the Rings or Lord of the Rings going up against Game of Thrones. Who's got the bigger flex? I don't know. I don't know. Both had to overcome so much. Like I Game of Thrones had to overcome the reception of their final season, which left such a bad taste in everyone's mouth. And Lord of the Rings had to overcome, you know, stretching out the Hobbit into three movies and possibly people not being as invested there. I I don't know. I, I don't know who has the bigger flex here. I mean, they're going they're both up redemption arcs to me. Well, they're both going up against one another. Like, who's like the who's the bigger king of the mountain? You know, like it, I, I feel like meme culture so far is in Game of Thrones hands. Like I see more commentary and jokes and conversation as of now about House of Dragon than I do Rings of Power. I would I would argue I would think that Lord of the Rings should and Amazon should feel you know, I'm not saying uh, HBO should feel bad in any way about the performance of House of Dragons, but I think Game of Thrones lends itself to a little bit of more of a mainstream audience. It's a little bit more of event television. It, it's you know, like Jake said, it's been a big part of meme culture. And of course, the ending really kind of turned a lot of people off of the original series. But even that morbid curiosity drew a lot of people in. So I, I was surprised to hear the numbers for the um you know for the first two episodes of Rings of Power I'm sure that it'll probably be some kind of a drop off I'm sure they're not going to hit that number every week it kind of reminds you kind of like the early walking dead numbers but I I think Rings of Power should maybe feel a little bit more of a flex just because I would say maybe this show would seem to be a little more niche if you were looking at it just kind of side by side I It's a great point. I agree. I think Billy I think you hit the nail on the head. My sister who is not into fantasy at all still loves Game of Thrones. And so she's loving House of the Dragon. And she tried watching this and it's just too high fantasy for her. And she could not get into it. She never got into the Peter Jackson movies. So I do think that Game of Thrones has like this uh, built in audience that, um, of course, Tolkien fans are their own built in audience. But I'm talking about just like casuals and uh, people that aren't into like the high fantasy concepts still mainstream people like just regular casual viewers will still catch out catch game of thrones for some reason that show is able to pull a lot of people in even though you do have a show with you know uh dragons and magic and and shit like that it's i do think it's a huge flex for amazon to say you know what we're gonna drop our series at the same time as a game of thrones series 
It's a huge flex, I think. I think Game of Thrones has a a couple advantages in that it's the more recent IP, so it's more recently in people's memories, especially when it comes to things that you could stream. I mean, I know that you can stream Lord of the Rings and all that, but you know those were original theatrical releases that did come out a while ago, and Game of Thrones is just a little bit more current, and also pretty much all its characters are human, so it's not going near as far on the fantasy stuff and the type of story that it's telling is is really more about political intrigue and all that which ties right into other shows that are super successful right now like succession and stuff like that Mm -hmm. so uh, game of thrones is going to be a lot more readily accessible and also with it being a a a different type of i don't think that the rings of power have been like tv ma at all but game of thrones is like definitely tv ma both with the level of violence and also with sexual type stuff in it and so you know there's going to be a titillation factor that's going to be in game of thrones that you're not going to get with rings of power as well wasn't there the rumor that we were going to get sex and nudity in in this series <laughs> i hadn't heard I, I nudity I rumors did come rumors. out hold on uh, jake yeah i do remember those rumors i i found it crazy that when i started the second episode it actually warned me of a strong language possible in this episode and i i took note of that and tried to like look for it but i don't understand what that warning was there for at all for sure is it gonna feel out of tone if we suddenly get elf dick in this Yes, I (laughs) a thousand percent. I think people would say I think that's just a bad move overall. I think people would instantly see what they were doing, trying to do the Game of Thrones thing, and it would work against this show for them to go that route. I I think part of the allure of the Lord of the Rings world is like its wholesomeness. Like, yes, it can get very scary and very frightening and very intense, but you know, the thing about Game of Thrones is all the characters are shitheads and the people in the Lord of the Rings mythology, there are good people with good ideals and they want things to end in a good way where that's not necessarily what's going on with anybody in the Game of Thrones world. I want Lord of the Rings. I don't need Lord of the Cock Rings. Is, 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 so. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah. I, as much as I love Game of Thrones for what they do with the, the violence and maturity, like, that would feel so out of place in Lord of the Rings. That's why I feel like there's place for both shows. So it's I don't think, you know, it's like uh, these shows very much are coming out at the same time. And a lot of people are pitting them against each other. I am just thinking that both shows are scratching two different itches for me. Agreed. Yeah, absolutely. Because yeah. they're both they can both be considered. I, I don't know if you'd call Game of Thrones high fantasy. I mean, they're both definitely fantasy, but they're different flavors of it mm-hmm. to where they, they should be. They shouldn't be compared, even though they're both, you know, the same, quote unquote, genre and they're coming out at the same time. The two very different flavors of ice cream. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Before we uh, get into the meat of it and Galadriel, can I talk about the one thing I disliked from both episodes right at the top? Because it happens here right at the very top. From both episode one and two? Yes. My, okay. my least favorite thing in both episodes. I don't know if you guys will agree, but we finally got to see the opening title card in episode yes. two. And it was the most pathetic opening title card I've ever seen. It felt like they did it last and they completely had no more Jeff Bezos money and they swirled some sand around and played some Howard Shore music and it went on way too long. And I was my jaw dropped at how unoffended, like how uninspired the opening title card sequence was <laughs> just just fucking awful. I'll give you that. I was really hoping that they were going to give us what they did with that first teaser 
you know, where they had the molten metal pouring into the wood that at first people thought was CGI. And it's like, no, that's that's real. They, that's really molten metal being poured into wood and filmed with like, you know, high quality cameras. I thought that that was going to be it. And so I was a little disappointed when it was it was, it was like, what did they do? Did they just like make all these patterns in sand and then just film it in reverse while playing bass tones underneath it? Because it, it was kind of weird. Yeah, I will be skipping that every week when the skip title thing comes up, <laughs> instant click. Um, so, <laughs> For sure. yeah, wow. There's a million cool things they could have done with this concept, too. And it's like they completely just lazed out on it. I 100% agree, Jake. If they're just going to do that, they could have just done something as simple as just having the title overlay like they did in the Jackson films. It doesn't even have to be anything crazy. If you're going to do that, I'd rather you just have something really simple and just get to the point of the episodes. A thousand percent agree. Don't even show me a title card sequence if that's what you got. What a waste of time. Well, let's jump in. Let's actually jump into the episode then. Let's go into uh, episode two titled Adrift. And this is we'll start off with our character of uh, Galadriel and her story throughout this episode. And she's jumped off that elven ship and she finds a boat of survivors, a boat of survivors and are we to believe that these survivors are the people from the, and we know they're from the Southlands. We know that they had battled orcs there. Are these the people that escaped Horndern that we actually see that had burned down in? Did we see that burned down in the first episode, Horndern? Yes. So are, are we to believe that these are the people from Horndern that were attacked by orcs? These are the people that got away. Some of the people that got away and that that's who we're seeing here. Yeah, I hadn't considered that. I, I kind of like that because um, the one guy later does say uh, Halbrand says that he's from the Southlands. Yeah, he says I'm from the Southlands and was driven away by orcs. And so I'm thinking that these are the people that kind of got away and they're on this. They were on a boat together. Their boat was basically destroyed by this uh, sea creature that they're calling the worm. And yeah, I just, I kind of put it together that these are the people from Herndorn that. And, and that makes a ton of sense. Cause that'll connect does. our characters later on throughout the series. When we start having characters have conversations with each other, mm-hmm. that, that makes a ton of sense. I mean, this could definitely bring Halbrand and Galadriel into into the storyline with Arendir and, and Bronwyn, correct? Totally. That's exactly what I was thinking when you made that connection for me. Okay. Okay. So, yeah, I think, I think, yeah, I, I think that that does work. Um, yeah, but they, they find Galadriel and there's a woman on board and she's basically like, hey, let her come on, let her come on. You know, does she look dangerous? And then we get this interesting quote from uh, this character, Halbrand, who says, looks can be deceiving. And that really stuck out to me when he said mm-hmm. that looks could be deceiving. I was like, okay, uh, does that mean that we can trust this guy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Real all that glitters is not gold vibes there. And so there uh, we see another ship approaching them. It's not a ship. It's actually their ship that's been fucking uh, – uh, <laughs> it was wrecked by this worm sea creature and it's basically like – uh, on its back, it's like he wrecked into it, and it's still it's still carrying the ship around on its back, and um, so Halbrand separates 
the part of the this boat that they put together, they, they MacGyvered. He separates his part and just like kind of like, like leaves them out there to to get fucked. <laughs> That he does. That he does. Man, one of my favorite shots in the entire episode is the Galadriel swimming away from all this carnage as they get fucked and how you see it all just happen like out of peripheral vision in the background. I thought that was a brilliant shot. Did you notice like he's got like kind of like a, a long, almost like a long oar and it's very close to her and he doesn't kind of like stretch it out to to rescue her. He just kind of like leaves her out there once she fall, once they push her off the boat. Yeah. Yeah, because it's like he's waiting. You can tell that he's a calculating character, and he's kind of waiting to see which way the winds are going to blow. And then when they're the only survivors that are left, he's like, all right, all right, you can come on. Well, um, it soon changes, though, because, like, she she saves him, right, at first? Uh, I Like, later when they're in the storm? Yeah. Yeah. She's like, she's like, you know, uh, hang on to me, bind yourself with me and hang on to me. And then later when she goes down into the water and starts to sink, he goes after her and then uses Mm -hmm. her brother's knife to set her free. And it's like, like there is kind of like this awkward moment of like, is he just going to watch her sink or because she cared about him earlier is he gonna go after her because it, it could be it could could have gone either way like okay now this woman's out of my hair i don't have to worry about this yeah. elf right yeah mm-hmm. that's what was fun about that narrative because like in in a lot of shows you would just oh you know he's gonna jump in and save her but they did leave it open where it, it could have gone either way like you weren't just guaranteed that he was gonna all of a sudden befriend her and do what he did to help her out It's like you guys said, he's making that calculation. Do I have a better chance of surviving with her or without her? And like I said, he literally probably takes that kind of calculation in that moment and does decide to to take her on or kind of maybe formulates a plan. And that, because I I do kind of tend to believe kind of what you guys are alluding to. There's a little bit more sinister to this guy than uh, meets the eye. We'll get to, I, I mean, but here's the thing. It's like, from what I've seen of this guy, he's not, he is not. Even the people that he's with in his party on that that ship that they kind of like MacGyvered together, he quickly separates himself from them, his part of the ship, and makes it so that he's less of a target and they're bigger, a bigger target for the worm to go after, which proves to be like the right decision. But it also is very sinister in its own way. It's like, fuck you guys. I'm out. Peace. And they get screwed over and and he's left. You know, do you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he is. There's definitely something. I, I do want to talk. I know you guys have theories about this guy and I, I definitely want to talk about talk about him. But before we get into like, who do we think like maybe this guy could possibly be? Um he mentions that he's from the Southlands, that that he, he was driven away by orcs. He's He's been over and we get to see like this. He's got like this um, uh, symbol uh, around a necklace. And then behind that, there's like a pouch and what looks like a maybe a vial inside the pouch. Um, could you guys do you have any theories on like what we're looking at there? Because he immediately 
whatever's hung around that chain, he tucks into his shirt. I wonder if it's some sort of house sigil. But as to what it was, it it didn't look familiar to me at all. Yeah, could it be connected to the elves somehow? And that's why he didn't want her to see. She would have recognized it. Right. If it was something yeah. elvish, I, I, yeah. I believe that she would have recognized it. So um, she I, I think she even doesn't she say something like. Does she does she ask him, like, is that the symbol of your king? And he's like, we have no king. Yeah. Yeah. I think kind of Joe is kind of on the right path. And it's kind of like along the theory. I mean, maybe he could be even like because of where I think they're going to be heading next week. Like maybe he could be. I don't think he's telling the truth fully about where he's from or why he was with that group of people. Um, maybe it's from like Numenor or something like that. You know what I mean? So um, and there's some things even in like the official Amazon description of his character that kind of led me to maybe think that. I don't 100 percent. Well, here, here's the thing. She wants to go. She wants to go to the Southlands. She, she wants him to take her to the Southlands to. She wants to see these orcs for herself. That's what she's been going after. And he's got other plans. What do you think his other plans are? And now we, I guess we can get into like full speculation on who this guy is. Cause there's a lot of people. I don't quite believe this. There's a lot of people thinking like this could be Theo's father. Mm. Oh yeah. I hadn't seen that speculation yet. Um, well, I'm curious, like what, what was the, if, if the ship he was on, if they weren't survivors from that town, what, what, what were they doing in the Sundering Sea then? If not going to Numenor, cause Numenor is really the only other place they'd be going there. No, I, I agree in that respect. And like I said, I don't even know the, again, let's, I wish we had a little more context of like who the other group was. Yeah. You know, was he really a part of that group or did he kind of come across them? But at least even just like from the preview and such of that nature, like I, I think it could be him. And like I said, it's, we, I think that the, the father theory could, it could be him. I, I do believe, I mean, a lot of the kind of passing references to him is that he of his father that he was basically an abandoner and that he's not around and it kind of kind of lies in with him being looking my like escaping and having ulterior motives and like i said that sigil i don't believe is just going to be some kind of small importance type of thing like to hide something of that level and especially from an elf because an elf would know what it is if she got a better look that's kind of what made me start to lean towards him being something much more than someone from the Southlands. So the, the people that he's with probably were from the Southlands, probably were driven away by orcs. And he just kind of like injected himself into that party. That's yeah, where I got a ride. Okay. That's where I'm leaning. But I mean, again, that this could be as simple as he really is one of the ones from the Southlands. But like I said, just the emphasis on him being so secretive and, like you said, the contemplation of even if he could even save Galadriel, is it going to be worth it? And for that kind of, you know, calculated decision for the life of someone like her, there, you know, his I think his mission's a lot bigger than just trying to escape from orcs that ran him off. And again, that's just my theory right now. On Reddit, there was one redditor that is a hundred percent convinced that Halbrand is going to eventually be the Witch King of Angmar. Um, and uh, they posted that Halbrand is the future Witch King. Hear me out. 
Halbrand says he's from the Southlands, where his land was destroyed by orcs. Galadriel asks him about his king, and he says his people had no king. They go on to say the writers included her asking that question for a reason. Perhaps Halbrand is the king of a destroyed land. The king of a destroyed land might want power to avenge his people. Eventually, someone gives Halbrand, a king of men, a ring of power to avenge his people, which slowly corrupts him into darkness. Could this be the return of the king that the young man from episode one was talking about? In oh, the, that'd be incredible. In the bar. In, in the bar with Aridan. Uh, yes. Could this be like, not, not like the return of the one, the king from, you know, the, the Gundor, <laughs> not, not Aragon, but like, like this is the return of their king and this is the witch king. Yeah. That's, that's what I think it is. I think that illusion in the first episode was definitely to this character. So people are thinking that Halbrand could become one of the nine, the group that led that was led by, or just one of the the nine that was led by the Witch King. I think that he is going to be the Witch King. I like that because if that's going to be the eventual fate of this character and then throughout this series, we become endeared to him and then see him start to take a dark turn, it just makes it much better of an emotional impact to see a character go through an arc like that. Oh, and to think of... And to think that Galadriel has a past with the Witch King and like, you know, it goes back to like some of the, you know, the, the, the narration that we heard in like the, the Peter Jackson film, like all of them were deceived. Part of that deception is Galadriel herself basically, you know, vouching for this guy and him getting one of these nine rings that were given to men. That's and be, awesome. And, and they're, they're going to give that ring to a man that we've seen in the story, too. It's not going to be some, like, out of left field character. Here, here's your ring. Like, so it makes perfect sense that this is the, the foreshadowing to this character getting the ring and being corrupted by it. Well, here's even more possible evidence. On Amazon Prime's video, uh, on Amazon Prime's video characters page for the Rings of Power, Halbrand is described as, quote, a roguish castaway on the run from his past and possibly from his destiny. His destiny? Uh His his destiny of becoming the Witch King? (laughs) Yeah, and I like that because according to the lore, now the the identity, which is really great for this series, the identity of the the Witch King of Angmar is actually never identified. Now, they do allude to it more than likely being a Numenorian and probably one of a, you know, a higher up ranking Numenorian. Now, that being said, that could also tie in with if that is a, a Numenorian sigil or a family sigil of, of, of a family from there. Yeah. He returns and works his way up, becomes friends with the Sauron and the, you know, we kind of work our way kind of from there, which, again, I think is really cool. And maybe they add, like you said, they're probably going to want us to, to like this character. So maybe introducing the theo element the sun element is maybe 
he starts to see his son kind of being taken over and because his son will be, you know, I guess what you would say half Numenorean or half whatever he ends up being. And maybe he has to kind of succumb to it to help his son or something like that. Or his son dies because of things that he kept hidden or, you know, there's, there's definitely kind of ties. I think that is going to be a big tragic element to the character. So then we watch that Lord of the Rings trilogy at the end of this run of series, it'll be a whole different thing. You know, it'll be really cool. Now, okay, who do we think is I, I think you I think you're onto something with him possibly being Numenorian. I hundred percent agree with you. And I think that, that that symbol that he's got around his neck, I think that would definitely I think it will tie in and maybe it will tie in with some sort of like Numenorian royalty, right? Yeah, I think so. It'll be like our version of like Aragorn for this series, but like what happened maybe with Aragorn went bad. So you get almost maybe like the, like an Anakin Skywalker type of thing. I don't want to do crazy, you know, comparison. Sure. Maybe that type of arc. The name escapes me, but we haven't been introduced to Galadriel's husband, who she should be with at this time, right? I mean, oh, sorry. I was muted. Sorry. I didn't Celeborn. uh, Celeborn. Um, yeah, that's that's interesting. Well, that's Law that's Lothlorien and stuff where you kind of see her in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. But that's actually a really interesting point. I didn't really take that into kind of account, but that's interesting. Is that could that be the mystery man we see on the ship? Because I maybe you guys have theories because like they're you know they've been stranded on this on kind of like this you know MacGyvered handmade you know ship that the uh, and and. Someone is there. I, we don't know if they're there to rescue them. We don't know if they're there to um, take them into captivity. We we don't know. Someone is showing up and we can't see their face. They're just overlooking them. Who are we looking at here? And so I was trying to think like I, we haven't seen we haven't seen Galadriel's husband yet. Like are they? Is that even part of this show's canon? I, we we don't know. So I'm. Do you guys have any theories about like? <laughs> we're left off with with Galadriel. This is basically where the episode ends. Uh, and uh, who is this person? That makes a lot of sense that it would be her future husband. I think you know, not future think, husband. She should be married to him by this time. Oh, married already? Yeah, okay, gotcha. Um, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I can't imagine things are going to get one step worse for these characters. I think they, I think they're due for some good news after the stuff that they've been through. So. Yeah, I see it being a good thing more than a bad thing, whoever it is. Yeah, I, I think it's just going to be maybe a random Newman, Newman how, I don't know how you would say that, someone from Numenor that's going to be taking them there. I think it's and, Newman from Seinfeld, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Newman! Newman for Newman, that'd be great. In, in they all look like Newman from Seinfeld, all the Numenorians. <laughs> that's hilarious. Um in terms of of you know where is her husband when is that going to show up with all the other stuff timeline wise taken from the books kind of mixed about in this for the sake of a television narrative i'm sure that that's just one of those things as well and maybe in the course of these five seasons we'll see her her meet and and marry celeborn i i I would like kind of like if celeborn was kind of like um this is a really chill elf where like he is all about and knows just how Galadriel is and has been fully supportive of her kind of going out and about and for her mission and just kind of being more of like a steadying presence. 
Um, or you know, maybe the writers have decided that they, for whatever reason, feel like her being single and on her own and not relying on a relationship makes her a stronger character. Um, I, I really don't know or have, like I said, any kind of insight or scoops on that and wouldn't really be looking into that. But I, it'd be really cool. Right. I'd be, I'm actually really now interested that you brought that up. It's something that had not crossed my mind. Yeah. Yeah. It, it seems strange that she'd get sent to the gray ha- havens without her husband if she were married at this time, though. And he you know, if if they are taking at least from the Jackson films like he's not there. So, yeah, I don't I really don't know. Um, but yeah, I guess, uh, any final thoughts on our Galadriel storyline here? I think that, uh, I, we didn't get a lot, but, uh, I think the teases here were pretty good. I mean, it's like, we've all got questions about Halbrand. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely a mysterious character. Um, I'm, I'm really hoping moving forward, Galadriel's going to get another sweet set of that elven armor and another one of those big ass bastard swords. Oh Yeah. I, I do think the Galadriel storyline will uh, be really kind of interesting and dynamic to watch because kind of the teases we got even as early as episode one that maybe her lack of just kind of relaxing and letting be her actions will kind of maybe accelerate the kind of coming problems. And it's going to be kind of interesting to see how, you know, maybe she does have a cause in some of these things happening and then how she kind of reacts to that. You know, he he had like that pouch and inside the pouch, it looked like there was kind of like you could see like the top of like a bottle poking out. And I was and maybe, Billy, you can you can kind of let me know if 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 this could even be possible. But could that be eventually be like the file of Galadriel, the 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 light that, you know, you know, that she gives to Frodo? I mean, it would be interesting. I mean, I do think they're going to try to do as much as they can as far as you know connect making connecting the dots are definitely a possibility if another thing i thought about with the vial was um you know there is kind of that plague and that poison going on that we've seen and is this something sinister where or is it something where bringing it back to numenor trying to get there to be able to examine what it is or to maybe spread it that's kind of where my my mind went just because of the stuff we saw with like the cows and the the poison grass and the the leaf but um your point definitely could be something like i said it could definitely be an item that kind of has a different significance right now and then eventually she holds on to and uses for her own purposes again that could be definitely really cool yeah i just didn't know if it was i mean it might not even be something important at all we've also seen people characters you know have like uh kind of like healing herbs and things like that and in, in, in vials like that you know um so uh we did see like the, the what was it the 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 flower seeds in the first episode that uh, that bronwyn gave aaron deer from the uh um, cr- what was it? The crushed petals. So I don't know. It, it's, uh, I don't know. I, I really, a lot of questions surrounding, uh, the character of, uh, uh, uh what's his name? Brand Hellbrand. Hellbrand. Yeah. Let's jump into the storyline with, uh, Aaron Deer and Bronwyn in this one. And, um, it looks like what's happening here in Horndern is what's going to eventually happen in the town that Bronwyn lives at, that, that these tunnels have been dug underground and, and these people kind of like, uh, battled with, with orcs. We, do we, we don't see any bodies though, right? I mean, they're all gone. No bodies. No, no yeah, living or dead. Found. 
tunnel them out, I guess, and kind of what we see what happens, kind of being able to kind of suck them down. It, I mean, it seems like that's their strategy right now, which is pretty sinister and eerie, kind of gives you that kind of like horror vibe, which I really appreciated in this episode, in this storyline particularly. Are, 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 what we see like later in these scenes, is that is that a goblin or is that an orc? That's an orc. That's an orc. Okay. It's an orc, yeah. I kept thinking to myself, maybe like they're taking the men and they're no, 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 no. Uh, the Yurikire was made from the men, right? No, that was made. Weren't orcs? Wasn't it originally goblins? And then, and then, didn't the orcs come from experiments that they did with elves? And then that's yeah. how yeah. they—that's how they were able to like orcs were able to live out in the light, and goblins were like living in the dark of the mountains. Yes, the the orcs were like twisted elves. And and when you look at this thing, it, it looks like an elf that's been, you know, twisted and mutated by dark magic. Okay. Like, it's got the pointy ears. Yeah, yeah. Aaron Deer is going to follow the tunnels, try to find out, like, what's going on, where's the source of all this, what is going on in these tunnels. And then that's when Bronwyn runs back into town, and she is um, she's trying to convince, like, the people at the bar, like, you know, uh, that... Does she go home first or does she go to the, she goes to the bar first, correct? She goes straight to the bar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she tells them of what they've seen and they don't believe her. They need more evidence. And this is when Aaron Deer is, uh, following. I got super claustrophobic during this scene. Like, oh when my he, gosh. Oh my God. Those rats in such close quarters were yeah. so disgusting. Well, like the tunnel just kept getting smaller and smaller and something's coming after him. I was just like, oh my God, is he going to be able to make it through this tunnel? <laughs> yeah, he's going to be stuck. Yeah. Or at some point, is he going to stop inching forward and suddenly shoot backwards? Yeah. Because something has grabbed his feet. Um, I, I, I get claustrophobic whenever there's cave scenes like that. And it's, you know, like like the stories of, of spelunkers where it's like, oh, this is a really narrow passage. The way you can get through it is to let all the air out of your lungs and then your chest will compress enough to where you can get through there. And it's like no fucking way. And and this had those vibes, especially with him wearing armor and everything. It, it was just so tense. Yeah, I got very claustrophobic. I didn't man. I was I was like leaning on the edge of my seat during that one because I was like, oh, God, it just the tunnel just keeps getting smaller. And, yeah, Joe, you're right. It's like I'm just waiting for something to pull him back. And as he's kind of like gets through that tunnel and makes his way to like this more of an open area under the tunnels, um, he's watching like the air bubbles in the water. And so we're waiting for something to like jump out of the water. And, and instead, like we see an orc hand pull him back into like the 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 dark part of the tunnel behind the roots and shit like that. So we that's where that's we don't know what happened to Aaron Deer. We have no idea. Like that's where we leave that character. Yeah, he's he's definitely going to be in some sort of trouble when we next see him again. Well, 100%. Definitely. I mean, if you kind of in any of the Lord of the Rings books, the orcs, and if this is kind of the beginning of that, they definitely have a lot of things like prison camps and their own things. So I'd be, wouldn't be surprised if it's kind of in the caves underneath and you kind of are seeing the, the sub level of kind of Mordor starting to brew before it gets to the surface. Because I mean, where we are right now is sitting in the Southlands and you're in Mordor proper, as you know it, during Lord of the Rings trilogy. And as you can see, it's a, a much different type of land and geography before 
everything takes hold, which is going to be really cool and interesting to see because, like I mentioned about that Shadow of Mordor game, and they get into that type of thing. There are various different geographies in that land before Sauron takes hold, and it's it's really interesting to be able to see it before it's untainted. So, Billy, do you think that the people of uh, Herndorn are now kind of like enslaved by these orcs somewhere? I, I, yeah, I mean, I don't know. And I would think it would be actually really cool and sinister if, if they were maybe less um, enslaved and some of them were maybe in cahoots a little bit. Like you said, maybe the, uh, Jake had kind of mentioned a little bit uh, before that there could be some kind of lingering loyalties maybe with some of the men still existing over time. And it's it's one of those things that I'm really looking forward to. So I do think there's either – yeah, you know, they're either just all captured and being eaten and tortured, or there's maybe even a little more sinisterly if maybe there's some alliances being formed already. Well, I mean, we know that it sounds like you know the people that we meet with that Galadriel meets up, or the people from the Southlands that tried to escape this. It seems like there was a battle there. Like buildings are burnt down, houses are burnt down, things are burnt down. It doesn't seem like these people willingly went. No, it, it doesn't. It, I kind of like the idea if they were in cahoots because it would really play into what Gilgalad was saying to Elrond earlier that, you know, the same wind that blows out a fire can also spread it. And so by the elves occupying that area for thousands of years, they've managed to maintain uh, a hatred towards elves in these humans. And I so think Gilgalad was Gilgalad was talking about Galadriel blowing that fire, man. Well, yeah, but just their elven presence in general, it could have a greater meaning as well, because these humans are looking at the elves like they're occupiers and they hate the elves as a result. And so that means the elves are creating this generational trauma amongst these people who live there that would make them side with with uh, Sauron over over the elves. And maybe not all of them, but definitely a selection of them. Yeah, for sure. It just seems odd to me that some of these people just fucking clearly tried to escape. And then why burn the town down just to make it look like (laughs) I I think the town was definitely sacked by orcs. Yeah. And I I, I think the majority of those people, if if they're not meals right now, they're going to be meals in the future. Okay. Yeah. I just think there's a couple bad seeds. Not like the whole town was in cahoots. Yes. You know, the whole race. I just yes. For them to do what they did, they had to have an inside guy. Yep, I think there's little pockets uh, of it around those human settlements in that area, just like how that Mordor blade was hidden in that cellar. How many other little treasure troves are being kept by people in that area? Like cultists, kind of. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So Theo, back in uh, his home where him and his mother Bronwyn live, uh, is, is investigating... The mice. Do you guys think that this is where the term the Orkin Man came from? <laughs> <laughs> I like that. It's a good meme. So, yeah, he's he's heard it. He's had it up to here. He's been listening to this mice. They've, they've kept him up night after night after night. I think he said it, they kept him up for like three days straight, like these mice. And it's just driving him mad. And he's hearing them underneath the floorboards. Starts to break the floorboards. And then we have this eye of a goblin of a of an orc, excuse me, popping out throughout through the floorboards and um later bronwyn gets back to the house and and theo has hidden himself away in like this cabinet inside the house and he's saying get out of here go get help and she doesn't get out fast enough and then has to lock herself in some sort of like a pantry and um that's when uh 
a pretty scary, intimidating looking orc comes out from the floor wearing like this animal skull on its face. And I was, I, and it has like this scraggly gray hair coming out of its chin. This thing looked fucking evil as shit. It sure did. It was very, very scary. The, the, the horror theme in, in this scene is just fantastic. With with her just barely getting glimpses out and the thing rummaging through stuff in the house, the scratch marks everywhere, the the size of the the nails on that thing was just terrifying, and and also how strong it was and how fast it could move. You know, yeah, I think sure. that's one thing this show did better than Peter Jackson is the orcs. I mean, they're cool, they're cool in those movies, but they're almost a comic relief. Like they're never really played for this much horror or anywhere near like this. I, I like that we kind of mentioned, Brian, to kind of the details, the subtle things as far as having longer nails and the gray hair. Because, again, like Joe had mentioned, earlier, there's not a lot of these orcs really running around. So it's like this one you can just tell from the visual history. Of them. This one's got a story. This one's probably been around for a while. It's it's had to rummage and who the hell knows where the hell this thing's been or how long it's been there for. So and I like like you guys had said it wasn't comic fodder. It it definitely ups the level of how legitimate and how powerful these things are so that when we do see someone like, you know, an Elrond or Gladriel being able to mow these things down, it even kind of shows how strong really they are. I just think it's really nice to show the relativity of strength from like regular people all the way up to like these elves and the orcs that we're dealing with. I mean, this is we got to remember that this episode of Drift and I, even the first episode was directed by J.A. Boyana, who did uh, who's done horror. So he does get like this, he does nail the horror in the scene, in my opinion. It's a very good point. Uh, yeah. She, Bronwyn fucking, uh, yeah, so they battle, they battle the, the, the orc and, and, and Theo gets involved, starts to choke it and the rope breaks, but eventually Bronwyn like cuts the head off this thing and then she's like, it takes it to the bar. Is this enough evidence? And just throws it down on the, on that the, was awesome. Yeah, it was yeah. For, for a healer to be that badass, like totally cool. Yeah. Yeah, I thought uh, the edit was really smart here too. Just going so fast to slamming the head down on the table, I thought was a smart move that really sold home. Like, just yes, here's the fucking proof. Let's go. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, let's get back to Theo. What's uh, we, Theo? Why can't you not? Get, we've got these curious kids getting themselves into trouble. We've got Nori who's comes across the, you know, she's, she's evading wolves while picking berries. She comes across a naked man a, in a crater. And now we've got young Theo who just cannot get away from like this, uh, evil hilt. And now he, he's picking up the hilt again. And the, the hilt starts to basically pull the blood out of his body from the battle that just happened moments prior and it starts to reform itself from theo's blood what is going on definitely some dark magic went into forging that blade and the fact that it has a sauron sigil on it it, it does lead you to believe that it was this sauron's blade and and also is is that the price of the dark magic that that maybe that wasn't a broken hilt at all maybe that's the way it is and the wielder has to give blood to it to form the blade almost like a some sort of fucked up magic lightsaber like a pact I like that a pact between yeah. the the yeah the, 
And why is it a secret? Why is why is it a secret now? He's not telling his mother about like, hey, uh, you wouldn't believe what just happened while you were gone. I feel like some <laughs> some control has already happened between the object and Theo. I'm I'm thinking if we're believing that Halbrand is the father, that maybe like maybe he you know, fell in love, whatever the case is, blah blah blah. And he that he was like you know maybe he used to be a soldier, or there was something involved in that nature where you know that's something he had or discovered and hid it there thinking it would be safe and inconspicuous there and little did he know that you know his son would come across it stupidly not thinking that but that there's something of that element i'm thinking that there just isn't there randomly and i do have think it's gonna have to be connected to a character we've already met or going to meet soon so halbrand yeah if he was the father would have hid this away what what's the purpose of leaving it there if it's not some for, sort of like allegiance to Sauron why not just I don't know destroy it get rid of it can you, you know really that, that dangerous can you destroy it though like it, it looks like it's been it's definitely been destroyed somewhat but I don't know I'm just trying to figure out like Seems like a dangerous game to have it right there where your your son or your you know wife could easily access it. Or are you leaving it for yourself? Is that what he's? Is that what he, you know? He talked about like I'm. I can't join you to you know whatever you're going to do. Hunt down Galadriel. I can't join Halbrand. It's like I can't join you, Galadriel, to 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 go to the Southlands to look for these orcs. I've got other business that I've got to take care of myself. Is part of that business like retrieving like the 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 hilt of the sword and unbeknownst to him, yes, his son finds it and his son has already started the the process of like <laughs> whatever this sword's destiny is. The son's pretty much almost reform has reformed the sword himself. So I don't I don't know. I really I there, I have so many different like questions surrounding Theo and the sword. Halbrand, is he connected to the sword? Like, why is, is there some sort of control over Theo? Which I do think there is now. I think there's some sort of like dark magic control over Theo as to why Theo's not telling his mother about what happened to him with the sword. I don't know. There's a lot of questions surrounding this. Even like his voice and the tone he had when he was, you know, telling Bronwyn that he was on his way felt very different than everything we'd gotten from the character so far like it felt like a tonal shift in the way the character was acting not a huge one but definitely a noticeable one mm -hmm. i i do like the thought that that whatever dark magic is in that blade starts uh influencing him and and maybe if not halberd maybe maybe theo is the one that becomes the witch king that's an interesting point too. I think I think you kind of alluded to that too, Billy, right? Yeah. That's what I'm kind of thinking as well. So I I said I'm just kind of curious to see I, I, kind of with the show in general and it's something with the pacing. I think the pacing's been great so far, but I'm curious on like these reveals how much stuff is going to be slow burn versus kind of get moving because of the amount of time they'd like to cover. So I, I'm that's kind of more so now less than my theory, but like how long are they going to make us wait to, to kind of find these things out? Yeah. Yeah. Man, if Theo makes it out of this, okay. By, you know, by some miraculous means, like he'll never lift up a floorboard again, like between finding this object <laughs> and finding orcs, like this guy lifting up floorboards has not been good. <laughs> He's in all eight episodes. <laughs> 
let's jump into let's go to our next uh storyline here where we're in the city of Eregion and it's uh uh we've got uh, Elrond and uh Calabrimbor and we're in the uh Eregion which is the realm of the elven smiths and um we kind of get a story about the uh the hammer uh Feanor's and um Billy, what can you tell us about this hammer? Um, I mean, this is the th- hammer again, which is very fun because they are trying to talk about Feanor's hammer and talk about the Silmarils and the Silmarillion without being able to actually talk about it. So this was Feanor's hammer. This was the hammer that was able to make a ton of different artifacts throughout um, the lore of Lord of the Rings and kind of pass down and even that family and kind of tradition of the elven smiths, which obviously Celebrimbor currently being the one for our story that is the you know the greatest smith. And obviously this hammer is going to come more into play. But yeah, like I said, for the forging of the Silmarils, um, the gems that have some of the light of uh, the trees themselves and obviously can have led to the wars in the first age during the Silmarillions and the war of the jewels. And so this obviously is what you would kind of use and what I believe we're going to be seen used to be the hammer used for the elven rings of power, the rings of power for the men and for the dwarves. So, yeah, this is the hammer that created the Silmarils, which are like they're like basically like gems that held the essence of the of the two trees of Valinor, Lorelin and Talpirian. And those were we saw in the first episode that those two trees were basically destroyed. So all that's left of those two trees, is it going to be what's left in the Silmarils? Are the Silmarils still around at this time, to your knowledge? To my knowledge, I don't know if they're actually – I mean I don't believe they're – obviously they're not going to be able to play anything as f- in regards to this storyline. But I'm actually not sure what they play as far as the second age. I mean obviously a lot of the histories and the things – and the history and the appendices focus more just on the, the rings of power and kind of these kind of shifting dynamics. But I'm not super aware of if the Silmarils are playing this kind of background lore okay. to tell you the truth. Yeah. So – all that's left of those two trees is that going to be the tree that we see later in the in 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 Chasm Doom? Well, well and that's kind of the same family, correct? Okay, okay. I'm sorry, it's a different tree. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I know it's a different tree. I just didn't know if it was like <sighs> a seedling from what from one of those trees, or am I way off? They didn't link that because the, the last time they referenced the two great trees was Morgoth stealing the Silmarils and then snuffing the light from those trees, which triggered the first war. And then a bunch of elves moved over to Middle Earth. And then in that time, they established Linden and then grew a different tree there. They didn't specifically say if that tree is in if that tree is a sapling from the other one. But okay. they did say that the tree in Khazad Doom is a sapling from the great tree in Linden. Okay. Okay. Thank you. I, that was a lot. That was a lot for me. I couldn't, I I was trying to connect the dots there and I, those are dots (laughs) I shouldn't have been trying to connect. Lots of special trees (laughs) in Tolkien stories. We find out that, uh, Calabrimbor wants Elrond to oversee the creation of a forge that is hot enough to produce a flame hotter than a dragon's tongue and a starlight. And he wants it done by spring. And so Elrond is like, 
Uh, yeah, that's huge. That's a big, that's a giant overtaking. Uh, we're going to need some help. I know, I think I have an idea of who can help us. And he's thinking of his friends, the dwarves. In particular, he's thinking of his friend, Prince Durin. And so that's the only way they're going to be able to meet the spring deadline is if they enlist the help of, of, of a different race. And he's thinking about bringing in his uh, friend, Prince Durin and the dwarves. So him and uh, Calabrimbor travel to Kazadum and they are not greeted <laughs> like with open arms. I love this. This this is like this. Everything that we see here, this felt very much like Peter Jackson, Lord of the Rings. I loved all of this. This is like I think this is my favorite storyline that we've seen so far in both episodes was just like Elrond and the dwarves. I loved it. I loved it too. I right off the bat when dwarves are being dicks, I'm like, oh, this is perfect because you know dwarves are kind of a, a an insular lot, and and to have it come off that way. But then with the reveal later on why Durin was upset, I was like, it brought so much heart to the scene that you know you might count your life in centuries, but dwarves do not. And to you, it was just twenty years that you were gone, but. To me, it was this it was an entire lifetime, all this stuff that happened and to see that dynamic in their friendship that, you know, sure, 20 years ago, they might have been great friends. But where have you been, man? And I, I, I just love the dynamic that it's set up in here. The, this whole storyline was my favorite as well. And um, also just Casa Doom in, in the Minds of Moria from the Fellowship of the Ring was always the the part of that movie that captured my imagination the most with that underground city and to see it brought to life here, um, especially with mm. the, the raging waterfall glowing, going under it, the way that they have giant mirrors that are redirecting all the sunlight and that they can even do agriculture down there. Um, uh, dwarves, not, not biggest fans of safety. We don't see handrails anywhere. Uh, no safety <laughs> glasses during the rock breaking contest, <laughs> but I mean, these are hardy creatures that, that have a proud history. And and it really shows with this meeting where Duran's like, you know, hey, I'm not just going to be somebody that you can just toss aside for 20 years. And no one tosses a dwarf. <laughs> <laughs> nope. <laughs> uh, incredible it was awesome to see Casa Doom like yeah. fully working. Like, you know, the last we saw it in the movies, it was a, a shell of of this. Like, it was just it was one of the moments where my jaw hit the floor. It was when we saw the reveal of the fully working Casa Doom. For sure. For sure. I mean, I even liked being able to see the, the rock breaking, the Seer and Tarag stuff, being able to really get the entire living culture. Because like you said, unfortunately, in the Lord of the Rings trilogy, we really just get to see ruins of the dwarven culture. So to see them, I mean, at the time right now, that's the, the grandest city in that realm in, in Middle Earth right now. And it's it's so cool, like you said, to see the things like the agriculture and the things of that nature being able to be introduced. I was a little confused with Durham because, I mean – in the Lord of the Rings and in Tolkien's uh, kind of lore, dwarves can live to be 200, 250 years old. So I'm wondering if Durin just doesn't think he's going to make it that long or no, I'm not saying it's, you know, 10 percent of your life is short. But I did think he was maybe being a little bit hard on his. his I don't. Not when you're missing the his marriage. You don't show up for his fucking marriage. You miss the birth of his two children. It's like how, these did, are- he, how did he send the message? How did he how did he reach out to Elrond? 
Well, maybe, yeah, maybe Elrond didn't send back the RSVP, and that's pretty fucking rude as well. I mean, I'm just saying maybe you should check in on your friend maybe once in 20 years instead of coming there for a favor. Elves are jerks. We know this. Yeah, and we don't know when Elrond met Durin. Like, he could have met him. Like, he could have already been 80 years old when they when they became friends, you know? Yeah, true. That they didn't meet. True. They didn't. It wasn't like Muppet Baby shit where they met at like <laughs> preschool. You know, they they met as adults. <laughs> Muppet ba- like that. The Muppet Baby Lord of the Rings prequel that we get <laughs> after this show. Yes, I uh, I did love the the rock smashing contest. The the it, when when he invoked the right of Sig and Tarag. That was just a that was a fun scene. And it was nice seeing like a dwarf take an elf to task with that. Cause it's usually the other way around when we're watching the Lord of the Rings, it's always like Gimli who's behind Legolas and like, you know, killing <laughs> as far as that only counts as one, you know? So <laughs> yeah, this contest was awesome. I am um, when Elrond broke his, his weapon, I thought that was a loss right there. I was surprised when he was allowed to give it another shot with another weapon. I mean, ultimately yeah. he, he doesn't and decides that's the end, but I was like, Oh wow. He gets to keep going if he wants. Yeah. Very yeah. honorable. I, man, I just, I loved dwarves and I, it, I loved, I loved his wife, Disa. I loved, mm. you know, uh, the kids with the uh, getting into the uh, helmets was hilarious. One of the lighter moments of the episode. Oh, yeah, oh, it was so wonderful. Well, they're just like dwarves are just like if you are if you're like family with them, you know, like you're part of the family. And 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 it felt like he was accepted by the dwarves, and he should have felt like that's a that's an honor, and he should have stayed in contact and been been friendly with Duran over the years. And Duran took it as like a as kind of like a a slight like like, like kind of like he took he took it very personally it, it hurt him very much and like i just i i was really endeared to durin throughout all of this and i was still kind of like i was still kind of like upset with elrond because even when he invoked the right of uh of uh Sigintarag, and he turns around and he talks to calibrimbor he's like oh don't worry like you know you're a master at your craft well you know just wait for me i'm gonna do mine and it's like oh so yours is just you're you're a fucking smooth talking politician like yeah yeah he still doesn't get it you're absolutely right and i i think this is a life lesson that elrond takes with them until the end at this point like i don't i think he gets it finally when duran explains what his frustration is and that's something Elrond will never forget. I think this really forges that character a lot. You know, it, things we see in the future movies even, I, I think, are affected by this kind of thing. It, it's a great little touch. It's, a, yeah. it's, why, he's, it's why he's so compassionate to, to other you know races and beings later on, where he's not so much here. And you mentioned that scene with the children and that there's a cool little Easter egg there with one of the giant helmets being the dragon helm. That's uh, the dragon helm of Dor Loman. And that's featured in the uh, Children of Huron book, the one that kind of it was written with notes from Tolkien and then to his son. And then even after someone else with his son's passing, um, really cool one in the Lord. Actually, it was made by a dwarf and it actually gives the wearer like immunity from physical harm. So just a kind of a cool little Easter egg they threw in there with the kids playing with obviously not the actual home. Oh, that is cool. So they patch, they more or less, they patch things up, right? I mean, and, but then we get a talk between, Prince Durin and his father, King Durin, 
And his father is basically like just worried that the elves are. Why are they showing up now? Why are the elves here now? And he's worried that they might find out that or they know about what they've discovered in the mines. And then we see this box that is opened by two dwarves and we don't get a glimpse of what's inside the box. Could it be that they've discovered Mithril? For sure. Mm-hmm. Yep. It, it's the it's the mineral that dwarves covet above all else. And it, I, it's the only thing I could think of that that there would jealously hold secret. And also we know what the fate of Khazad-dûm is going to be. We know that the dwarves delve too deep and they awaken a Balrog and that's going to happen eventually. And what would drive them to ignore, you know, the song of the mountain that tells them where not to dig. And they clearly don't heed that because what could drive them to do that Mithril. And eventually their rings, because that's the side effect of the dwarves is it makes them more greedy. And they just keep digging and digging. And like you said, too, the Mithril with that glow. And we're used to it. It's cool. We kind of get the kind of callback with the entrance into Casa Doom where they have a regular door. And they obviously aren't using the light doors of Doran. But those doors are actually made using some magic from the elves. But they use Mithril to actually do that spell onto the doors. So that's why those light magic doors that we're even we're used to in the Fellowship doesn't exist yet because they have just probably just discovered Mithril. It's kind of sad to think that, you know, we've, we were introduced to Doran here. Who's so upset that, that, you know, his friend Elrond hasn't visited, hasn't seen him in 20 years and, and, and he's missed so much. And then for them to discover Mithril and then become obsessed with it, that's what like closes them off from yeah, the outside it's going to be a tragic story yeah. going forward mm-hmm. with, with these dwarves in Casa Doom just because man the the first time we saw Casa Doom yeah it was a splendor but it was also you know this isn't a tomb or this isn't a mine it's a tomb yeah 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 um any final thoughts on uh on Elrond Calabrimbor the dwarves I hope we get a ton of Casa Doom Casa Doom is so cool. Casa yes. Doom is I, I want there to be some kind of video game spinoff where we can go back in and, and walk around Casa Doom the way it is, because that that was just that was my favorite thing I've seen so far. That's money well spent when they're talking about five hundred million dollars like Casa Doom money well spent. Oh, yeah. So agree. It felt like a real place. It didn't look like you were just looking at CGI. Mm-hmm. They did a very good job with it. Yeah, the waterfalls. It was beautiful. Yeah. Um, let's jump into uh, the Nori and the Harfoots storyline that we get in this episode. And um, we did tease, you know, in the last episode that we're going to talk about who we think is in that crater. I do want to get to that. Um, but Nori feels kind of like, you know, we've got to get this. We've got to get this guy out of here. And uh, Poppy wants none of it. She's just like, let's leave him here. And um, I don't know. I want Joe, what what are you thinking about this mystery meteor man character so far? Well, I mean, anybody who's familiar 
with with the rest of the Lord of Rings, you're gonna take one look at him and go, "Well, that guy looks a lot like Gandalf." And the the wizards at that time that that all came to Middle Earth, they were they they actually they're kind of they were kind of like more like angels that were sent by the Valinor that they came in in the guise of old men. And they they also then had the the same problems and stuff old men would have, and they were basically sent to convince the people of Middle Earth not to side with Sauron. And now it just and there were five of them that came, and so it's just a question of if this is one of them, the the Maiar, which which one is it? And it, it seems like it would just be way too easy to say, oh, this is going to be Gandalf, but. I, I don't know. It, it could be Gandalf. It could be Saruman. It could be uh, what was that other one that we saw? Like Ragnarok. Radagast. Yeah, Radagast. And then there's a couple other ones that they call the blue ones that Tolkien didn't even write anything about because they didn't really have anything to do with the history of Middle Earth. He, he's, he's guessing one went east and one went west to deal with people outside the storylines. So it's possible it could be one of these blue wizards. Um I don't know. Some there's even some speculation that maybe this is Sar, um, Sauron himself in a different guise. Um, but I tend to think it is one of those other Maya. I, I think it would be riskiest for them to make it Gandalf. Um, it would explain they, his connection and love for halflings, though, right? Wouldn't it? It, it fits mm-hmm. in really nicely that way. And and I I feel like it's a risk if they don't write it the right way, but. That right there off the bat, that's my reasoning for why it could be Gandalf as well, is because a Harfoot is taking care of him. I loved it, too, that as soon as he comes out of that crater, he's in this like almost feral state where he's just exuding raw power. But he has no idea. He's he 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 hasn't really come in contact with like his higher intelligence or higher functioning in his brain yet or something. This is a real slow burn so far to this story, but to have such a powerful character fall to middle earth, they couldn't have a better beacon of, you know, kind of mischievous innocence to, to start shepherding him. I don't want to believe that it is Sauron, but can I neither, but can I give you some reasonings as why, it leads some people to believe that it could be Sauron. Yeah. First off, the overhead shot of him in the flaming crater kind of looked like the eye of Sauron. Mm-hmm. Number two, when Nori goes down, falls down into the flaming crater and touches the flame, the heat, it's not hot. Well, episode one. When Galadriel and the elves are inside that, you know, snowy, um, uh, like, what was that? What was that? Uh, um, yeah, the Ford Waith or? Yeah, Ford Waith. When they're inside, like, in, in, inside the, the Ford Waith, they, the magic, the dark magic is so strong that they can't feel the heat from their torches. And so basically that magic had sucked all the heat and made everything cold. And, that was another thing that kind of like made me think that maybe there's some dark magic at play here, or is it just magic in general? So I don't know. It's, it's, it's interesting why there was no heat given off there. And at the center of it, we've got 
maybe a Maya or maybe a magical creature, an angel, like you said, Joe. I don't know. Maybe Sauron. <laughs> it I, could be. I kind of tend. So, I mean, my two cents on this, I don't want it to be Gandalf. I really don't. I just really don't think you need that. I don't think the show, I think hopefully the writers understand that they don't need that comparison and need that every single episode. And I don't need to see like the, I've already seen a few memes like baby Gandalf memes. Like I don't, I just really think it would do the show more disservice than a service. Um, I, I do like the idea of it being more of a Maiar. You know, there was plenty when you kind of go into the research and there's plenty of names. One I thought was kind of cool. I saw in one was the guy named Glorfindel. He was a minor Maiar character who gets killed by a Balrog in the first age and then gets sent back in the second age to help cultivate peace. Kind of like you're talking about, Joe, maybe one of the blue ones. Maybe they can take elements of multiple characters, backstories and and bring it into one and can still then have that really cool um, kind of comparison to with Ga- Gandalf and the Hobbits. It could just kind of show this almost um, kinship between these primordial Maiar and these halflings who are pure and peaceful. And I still think you can still kind of get that same relationship dynamic. But I think the show would be doing itself too much of a disservice if they made it Gandalf. Um, and Sauron is supposed to be hiding and being slick and coming in his fair form and supposed to be looking like an elf. So I, I don't really think that would be the the slickest way to show back up. But um, there is definitely, like you said, Brian, there's definitely arguments out there saying, and like you said, with the stuff of the fire and people say that with Gandalf as well, because he was the primordial spirit dealing with fire. But there is actually a history saying Gandalf showed up on a boat and then was actually given his elven ring of power then but this is in the third age so i'm hoping that they aren't going to just flat out ignore lore that they're allowed to have access to um but that's kind of where i kind of stand on it yeah to my understanding uh gandalf would not be here in the second age it just wouldn't make sense yeah i agree with that it wouldn't make sense for gandalf or sauron to be this character in my opinion it would just sauron oh sauron you said sauron did you mean oh, Sauron? I did mean Sauron because I've seen a lot of people think that's possibly what's going on here as well. But that, I mean, that character already has so many ties to other stories and different betrayals that to, to add this kind of thing into it would kind of make no sense and be a real left turn. Now, were the the Maiars, you know, these uh, these these uh, angels, the um, that that. Uh, that were magic, you know, that were, that shapeshifted into old man. Um, I believe I read somewhere that they could be corrupted and then become something called Umayar. And this is where we get our Balrogs. Oh, wow. Yeah. That sounds like that. I mean, it's, they've heavy teased the Balrog stuff already like in the trailers and that's why i kind of liked when i saw that that glorfindel stuff with the um balrog connection and i wonder if they'll be able to maybe kind of draw some kind of connection to from the Maiar to the balrog as well just like they're kind of it seems like this eternal struggle between the two mm-hmm. did you guys see the scenes for the upcoming episodes we are going to get a balrog yeah i, I saw did. that Wow. Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be crazy if they went if they went really left field with who this character is and it ends up being the first time we see a fan favorite Tom Bombadil make an appearance in a Lord of the Rings property? Be so cool. I don't think it's him, but I've saw people like begging for Tom Bombadil, but he's like a a a 
show breaking character is doesn't care about the one ring could care less it's in his house he doesn't want it this doesn't bother him doesn't affect him yeah it's one of those the things that kind of like powers power. yeah yeah he he definitely is like a big splinter in this kind of storyline it is the main reason they've never included him but fans have been clamoring for it for years so i wouldn't be surprised if we got some mention or showing of him at some point the in the credits of the show, and I think like everywhere that you look online, they just call this person the stranger. So the stranger uses Poppy's Firefly Lantern to show some, like uh, illustrate con- a constellation in the sky. And that's where he wants to, th- that's where, that's where Nori believes she, she wants, he wants to find this constellation in the sky that he's kind of illustrated here. Do we think that who could Nori possibly talk to that might have more information about this constellation in the sky? Who's, who's familiar with the skies? Who's been looking at the skies? I think Sadak would be probably the guy that we'd want to bring into this, right? Like he was looking, he felt like the skies, there was something off in the skies in the first episode. And he seems to document a lot of different things. And it feels like maybe he's been documenting the night skies. Maybe he can kind of like put this together. Am I crazy in thinking that maybe she might try to enlist the help of Sadak? No, I think that uh, that will 100 percent happen. Uh, the foreshadowing is totally there. Like who else is going to be able to give her this kind of knowledge that at this point she knows she needs to kind of crack the next code and move on from here. So I think I think you're right on the money with that foreshadowing. Yeah. But how do you convince Sadak that like <laughs> we should even be bringing this guy close to anything with the Harfoots? Like I would think that this guy would be like, get him the hell out of here. Maybe Nori will only give him half information. Maybe it's not like, I'm going to go meet and greet with this person. Maybe it's just, uh, you know, hey, I've got this friend. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, maybe Sadak has, we know he has some books already. So maybe he has other books that have star charts in them. That's what I was alluding to. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like, like, like this guy has been watching the night sky. Maybe he's been documenting this stuff. Oh, yeah. The old steal the book. One thing. No, go ahead, Joe. I was going to say, yeah, exactly. Like maybe she goes to talk to him, trying to dance around it and just get answers. He refers to a book, maybe even looks through it. And then she knows where it's at and then comes back later to to take a deeper look in the book. No, for sure. I uh, one thing I thought would be like interesting to bring up as well. I know we've talked about the Sauron marks. We've talked about the the constellations and trying to figure out those marks. One thing that I guess we haven't really specifically talked about is there's some theories going around that. The mark itself, if you look at it, is in the shape of Mordor, which is actually pretty interesting. If you turn it sideways, it's the shape of the mountain range of Mordor and Mount Doom in the middle with a kind of a mountain shape in the triangle that's in the middle there, which I don't know if that's extrapolating a lot. But I think that would be really, really cool if that's actually the case. And that mark is more of a a map and a symbol for like where they're trying to go or where he is right now. Like that is the mark because that's where he's hiding out right now. So I think that would be kind of cool as well. Yeah, I like that because if the she had said in the first episode that if that mark is supposed to be a signpost. To, to other orcs that come and find that stronghold, the, that that is pretty good that maybe it would point them in the direction of Mordor. 
or where Mordor will eventually be. <laughs> yeah, like the uh, the future home of Mordor. Like we see, like you know, they've got <laughs> they've got that sign up there. You know, the construction <laughs> the model <laughs> property will soon be Mordor. Exactly, <laughs> coming soon. Yeah. Now, yeah, it's like when Marty goes back to 1955 and he sees the future home of Hill Valley, right? Exactly. <laughs> Oh man, I I loved this episode. I this was I out of the two episodes, I enjoyed them both, but I really enjoyed this one because it really made me feel like I was a hundred percent back in that world of Lord of the Rings from the Peter Jackson films because of just and just like the interaction between Elrond and the and and Durin really made me feel like I was watching like you know Legolas and Gimli again. I, I loved it. I thought it was I thought it was awesome. I this was by far my favorite episode so far. And it's got me really excited for the next six episodes. Yeah, a hundred percent agree. Th- this episode really clinched it for me as well. Uh, I think it was that cross 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 cooperation between the different species, which is ultimately the, it's that bond that allows them to overcome evil in, you know, that we know for sure way, way into the future. And we're, I think we're going to see that echo in this story as well. I think it's a great way to put it. Definitely in the in the old prejudices and kind of some of the mistakes of the past that we see them not want to repeat, but it is interesting to get to see um, see the mistakes. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I love the second episode as well. It was nice to see that Galadriel wasn't always going to be the lead, even though I thought she was a very capable leader the first episode, and her storyline was important in the second episode as well. She kind of took a backseat to the uh, Elrond stuff and the Nori storyline and. I think it's really cool that they're not just going to give one character the the headpiece every episode and we'll kind of bounce around on who gets to to be the lead narrative character each episode. Yeah, that is all I have for episode two adrift. I don't know any final thoughts or anything that we didn't cover that you guys want to touch upon before we end this episode. Oh, I wanted to bring up that that when the the stranger is saying that he's saying mana ure. Yes, 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 yes. And those words, it's uh, spoken in the elven language of uh, Kenya. And according to Tolkien Gateway, it translates into a question, what is heat? Yeah, I've seen what is heat and what is fire. Yeah, I also saw someone say you could be uh, hand of fire as well. So, I mean, there's, again, obviously fire... Mordor, Sauron, something of that nature. And maybe, like I said, over the next few episodes, maybe he just starts to gain a little bit more of cognizance and we can start to understand or maybe it's all at once. He'll just kind of snap too. But again, that's kind of another I'm wondering how long do you guys think we find out who he is in the first season? I yes. hope so. Yes, I hope so, too. Mm-hmm. I think it'll be second half, though. I don't think it's happening. Episode six, episode seven territory is where I smell it. It's a fair guess. Is he not just talking because he he really can't communicate at this point other than what he's been saying? Or is he just trying to get, get a feel of like he's listening to Nori and trying to figure out if, if is this a person that I can trust? I lean towards something Joe said where he's like kind of in a just a feral state. And yeah, he just can't communicate the way he needs to quite yet. He mm-hmm. hasn't quite come to himself. It's like sensory overload. And if you read anything about the Maiar, the first word they always use is primordial. Mm. So like you said, maybe it's just like 
and, and it's in, in someone I read this is kind of an interesting thing. This is obviously hopefully not Gandalf. It is kind of the first, maybe one of the first times they've tried to do this. It's like a almost like a trial run. So when they do send the wizards in the third age, Radagast, Saruman, uh, you know, Gandalf that we're familiar with in the third age, it's almost like they it's kind of have refined the process in a way. Who knows, though? I mean, maybe like if we had more of history of Gandalf, he was the same way. Uh, I know when he came back as Gandalf the White, they said he came back naked and confused and then kind of comes to. But it will be interesting to see that if that's just like the natural life cycle. Like Joe said, they're always sent back as old men. And what is what is the the curve on being able to pick up the local lingo? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's an exciting episode. I'm glad you brought that up, Joe. I had it in my notes and I totally forgot to bring it up. So I'm glad you brought that up, that Mana Uri. Yeah, right on. Which looks like manure when you put it together. <laughs> it totally does. <laughs> <laughs> Which is another Back to the Future reference. Manure. <laughs> All right. Yeah, this is episode two. We will be back next week. I cannot give you a firm uh, day of when we'll be releasing the next episode. Hopefully Tuesday night you'll get the episode, but at the latest, very latest, you'll get an episode, I would believe, on Wednesday. But I would look forward to other episodes coming out Monday nights or Tuesdays, I believe. But I want to thank our guests. Jake, I want to thank you. People can find us on Pop Culture Leftovers podcast if they're not listening to us on that feed right now but uh yeah uh check out our podcast we talk about marvel dc star wars uh and then we do reviews for the latest tv shows and movies that are coming out right now on all streaming platforms and in the theaters but uh joe where can people find you yeah you can find me on my podcast Startcast, where i have long form conversations with people you can also find me on twitter at the tubby ninja or if you're into post-apocalyptic zombie stories, you can check out my book, I Become Death. It is available on Amazon, Audible, and iTunes. And Billy, where can people find you when you're not on PCL Lords, the Lord of the... I don't even know how to pronounce our fucking title for this show. PCL Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power. It is a mouthful. It um, is. It's can, a lot. <laughs> you can find me on The Reality Guys on YouTube. We cover anything and everything reality television, Survivor, The Challenge, Bachelor, Amazing Race, anything you could think about. Big Brother, we're covering it. You can also find me on social media, Billy Blinks. You find me on Facebook, uh, Instagram, Twitter. And The Reality Guys also has a TikTok channel with a lot of funny clips. So look for us on TikTok as well. Hopefully in the third episode, another Mari wizard will show up. But... It won't be a Mari Wizard. It'll be Arnold Schwarzenegger showing up as the T-800. <laughs> yeah, I got serious Terminator vibes from some of those shots as well with the, with the arrival of this character. It was hard not to. The only, th- <laughs> the, the only thing missing was like the electricity swirling ball around him, you know? No, for sure. And and one more quick shout out. Um, if anyone out there could leave us a review on the Rings of Power feed, that would really help people that aren't fans of our individual podcast find this podcast as a fan of Lord of the Rings. So if you've already left a review on one of our individual podcasts, leave us a review on Rings of Power. Help us get some some notice here. Tell, yeah. Tell us how much you dislike these episodes there. 
<laughs> How much we mispronounced and butchered everything. Exactly. Yes, Tolkien scholars, let us know what we're doing wrong, because I'm sure you will. That's <laughs> so. our favorite thing. We it is. Some <laughs> of them would say even watching the show itself. <laughs> it, that's Jeez. true. Very true, some would say. All right, guys, we'll be back next week with episode three. We don't even have a title for the next episode, but I am looking forward to it. I can't wait to figure out who the mystery man on the boat is looking down on Galadriel. Um, and uh, yeah, hopefully we'll find out who this uh, wizard character is in the next episode. I doubt it. Probably looking like you said, Jake, in the latter half of the season. But uh, yeah, we'll be back next week with episode three. Until then, see ya. Later, guys. See ya. Bye.